Is this a dream? No, it's not a dream. I'm an angel. Why would God send me an angel? Because God knows that everyone needs a little coaching now and then. I'm loving angels. I saw an angel. All angels say, Hi, and welcome to the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our community at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Francesco, co-founder and CEO of TrueLayer. He's a technologist and serial entrepreneur who has founded and grown a number of successful tech companies in the US and Europe, including analytics platform Stack.io, which was acquired by Playhaven and mobile marketing platform Upsite. If you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Vaban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. Our end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on the things that matter, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and we've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on our platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investments for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. Francesco, welcome to the Super Angel Podcast. I am so excited to have you with us here for this episode. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. And thanks very much for inviting me. Thanks for joining the pod. It's a really special one for me, as you know. I mean, you were one of my first uh, investments in my VC career and have learned so much from you. So excited to get started. Do you want to get started by sharing a bit more about your story and also what got you into angel investing in the first place? Absolutely. You, you have been part of my story in a way maybe for the benefit of the listener. So TrueLayer, the company that I founded that started here in London, has been founded at the very early stages by Anthony's venture. And and you, Anthony, were part of that investment team along with Jan. And so uh, I'm personally, you know, I've been really excited to work with you, but also I think like it's, it's really nice to see, you know, people going through their entire careers and like all those stories panning out. So it's fascinating to also see you taking on your own adventures. And so I'm really, really thankful for that. About myself, so, and I know how to define myself. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm the CEO of TrueLayer, which is a open banking payment network based in London. Myself and Luca, my co-founder, running and operating the company for the past seven years. Prior to that, I really started very, very early when I was a teenager, like at 15 years old, like writing code and hacking things together. And along with Luca, when I was 19 years old, we really started our very first company back in Rome in Italy. I'm Italian and it was very different vibe. Even right now, I think Italy is developing their own kind of tech scene in a way. Back then, we were really, really unique, like we were probably like one of the very few 
so young and, and really thinking about building a software company, which was like a very alien concept. And, and we did that, I would say, fairly successful for the conditions that we were operating in. And so at some point in 2010, we moved to San Francisco, where we actually started another company. And I also had the pleasure of working with other two partners in a very, very, very tiny kind of angel fund, which I started along with them. So, and that's maybe where I learned a little bit about angel investments and, and all that good stuff. And 2016, uh, moved to London. I wanted to have a new adventure, uh, entrepreneurial adventure for a bunch of different reasons. Came about to know open banking as a concept. I was really fascinated of this idea of bank opening up APIs and the regulator being supportive of that. And I thought that was a big, big change to allow a new, a new infrastructure to exist that could push a different kind of payments and set of financial services. I think like that was a very good decision to pack up the bags and come to London a little bit closer to Italy, but also really glad that I've been working for the past seven years on something that I will define as a one, one of the very few opportunities in, I would say, in technology and financial services that are quite unique of the European landscape. I think like that's where UK and Europe kind of are leading and paving the way for a whole entire wave of innovation around how payment system should be in the future, right? Anything is exciting to be in on, on the front line of this movement. And yes, I do little bit of angel investments on the side when I'm not crazy busy with which layer, which was likely the case. We always say, what is it a little bit, right? And we'll talk much more about investment thesis, but you just shared it a bit there. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of uh, angel investing. How much does angel investing matter to you? And how much time and how many portfolio companies do you have so far? In terms of like number of portfolio companies, think about two separate portfolios. There's one portfolio that they built through this firm, Mission Market, back in San Francisco, about 35 investments, I believe, roughly. And then as, a, as an angel myself, so outside of the firm, I probably have another 30s, roughly, roughly speaking, like also including maybe a few, not just like startup companies, but also some also venture funds that are also focusing on early stage investments. So just a mix of, of the, the what vast majorities are our companies. I mean, frankly, it's something that I would do maybe mo mostly late at night or during the weekends. Like it's very, very hard like to do anything else that it's not true layer at this point in time. It just takes all my time. So the, the, the way I think about it, it's by and large is a patient project. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't collect stamps or I don't know whatever is is cool today. But I like to learn about other companies and maybe try in a way to to potentially live a another life through their their eyes and through their experiences. That's maybe what drives me the most. So when you reflect back, even if you're you know not super intentional and spending a lot of time on it, I'm sure it comes through organic. Uh, channels as well, you know, just from the mere fact that you're truly here, like a lot of fintech companies come to you, for example. But what would you say has angel investing given to you personally or professionally, right? Just like looking and taking a step back. 
the big motivation why I'm even spending time again is it, it's probably like the sense of curiosity. I'm extremely curious about other stuff that happens around me. And I think as an entrepreneur, especially of a venture-funded company, you develop some sort of like tunnel vision. So you, you happen to do, you, you need to do that thing for probably 10 years or 20 years. That's really like the, the time span that you need to allow for yourself. So this is a lot of time. It's a very big commitment. And it's very nice to, at the same time, have a little bit of a look inside other people's story and learn from them and try to understand how things relate to each other's, right? Especially in my case, for instance, I do invest recently a lot into financial technology, fintech. And so really, it is an ecosystem play. If I have to describe my strategy, it is an ecosystem play, right? Because I'm investing in things that are not related to TrueLayer, but they are in a way as part of like the broader uh, movement of technology and innovation in financial services. And so for me, is immensely valuable, not just like from a pure financial perspective, but also and, and, and mainly from uh, the experience that I gain from sometimes like just chatting with other fellow CEOs and see how they are setting up things and just maybe look at another trend and learn something out of it. And sometimes I, I can also be helpful to them into like just the other way around because I've maybe I've done a similar thing in the past and I know maybe a common pitfall or, or something that I just have to learn the, the hard way. And that happens to be something valuable to them as well. I would love to be more disciplined and maybe a little bit more just like sometimes I remind myself, okay, I need to have a strategy. I need to sit down a little bit, think about check size and like, how is that I'm going to do follow on or like all this good stuff. Like just the thinking of, about maybe, you know, what, what goes into modeling a portfolio and how is actually you go about returning the capital and, and making like a financial gain. But I never find really neither the time nor the enthusiasm to do that in a very diligent way. And so then I just get pulled a little bit more into the excitement of this new thing happening. And I just want to be a part of it. Many times the emotional pull uh, rules there. And I know we're going to touch a bit about portfolio construction, the light in just the next segment. I guess the last question from me for this one is uh, if you, you know, now having reflected and talked about the learnings and what it gives to you, like, do you want to share maybe with the audience a memorable deal that you've done or a company that you've like recently or in the past interacted with you want to share more about? The one that I I will always remember in a way just because it was quite interesting is the is the very first investment we did at Mission Market company uh, called Ease. It is a marijuana delivery platform. So those guys were Uber for weed. Love it. In California, right? That's a problem worth solving. It's a problem worth solving, <laughs> especially when, you know, like the whole industry has been really opening up in the US, right? Uh, in the past maybe 10 years and more. We try to, at that time, also to think about a little bit, okay, what is the reason why this is going to be net positive for everyone really involved, like from consumers to actually sellers? And, and at the end of the day, the big rationale is that regulating a very dark industry is actually net positive for all the different constituencies and, and actors. And so we, we wanted to be a part of that. But beyond that, 
just think about that was the very first investment of the fund. It was a company that at that time like wasn't really existing, was just like a bunch of slides. And we just raised this very small fund. Vast majority was our money, but also some more institutional money into the fund. And we have to go and explain to our LPs that the very first investment was like, you know, with delivery. And so it was a little bit awkward, but like we had like strong conviction into, into the company. And, and it's fascinating to see, you know, the very early investment and how they actually pan out and they actually build companies is, I believe, like, I don't know exactly when, but like at some point we'll probably IPO, like they are in that sort of stage where an IPO at some point will be appropriate. And they are certainly market leaders. If you, if you maybe have been in San Francisco in the past few years, like there are like gigantic billboards, like it's a very known company in that part of the world. And they went through some incredible up and down legal problem. It's very hard for them to access, still access the banking infrastructure and they had all sorts of like problems with accepting payments and this is all in the public and so it's just fascinating story to just see how you know what what from the outside is is a successful company really behind the scene it really takes several years and all different kind of people and different stages it's just fascinating to see that all panning out and there are other couple of companies that I remember Today, I I want to mainly talk about like mission market more because those are companies that are at this point I have several years like worth of experience with them and just like looking at them versus some of the most recent one where it's very early days for for many of them. And so I guess I remember this other one uh, called Kaniku and and Ash is the is the CEO and founder. I think like is a crazy guy in the most positive way. Is a scientist with an incredible passion for what he does. Now, their idea back then, like I met the guy when really he was just probably like himself and a, 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 a couple of other people coming out in the bio, which is a biotech accelerator in San Francisco. So Conigo at that time and still today, they are building, basically, they're using real cells, real neurons in, in vitro dishes and connect them to hardware to basically have this sort of wetware computation. Like you do have real neurons, actual neurons, that they do some part of like computation and they are connected with the rest of like just more traditional CPUs and GPUs. And so through the years, they went through a bunch of iteration and now they, they basically develop those kind of smell computers, like those computers that can smell molecules and those molecules can be everything from maybe explosives in an airport to actually viruses in the air, like imagine with COVID. And, and this is a company that is becoming really successful and raised hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital. And I remember like back in the days, it was just crazy concept of you basically want to just like get the brain of a person and connect it to a physical computer and, and just get that source of computation power. I, I just have like those very fun memories of of the early days when I met Bosch in San Francisco and, and I think like I was just captured by his passion when he was talking about this future that he was creating an event. And I think at the end of the day that's what really moves me. This sort of passion behind the ideas and, and just this incredible drive that entrepreneurs really have when it comes about building the future. Oh no. 
What about the thesis? You said just before that you kind of had two investment careers, almost done 30 investments in, in both of them, but they're very, very distinctly different uh, in the sense that what you did in, in the Valley was you actually raised a fund there, a uh, small one though, and primarily with your own capital and and a couple of institutions, and I'm sure also a bunch of friends. And now you're investing entirely out of your own uh, own pocket. So I'm curious to ask you, how has your thesis adapted from back then to today and considering those two you know, distinct differences in the purpose of your investments, right? Right. As you're saying, there are maybe some commonalities, but also just the setup is different. So mission market, small fund, as you said, some of my money, also the other partners as well. We started in 2014 or 13, it was. And the reason was we just like happened to see just entrepreneurs and friends building companies in, in San Francisco. And some of them were actually then going and raising A and B. And so we said, look, we won't just be part of that. And we pulled our money together. And then some other friends and entrepreneurs from Italy and Europe, like they came along and we realized they didn't have any source of avenue to deploy any money whatsoever into those early stage companies that were born in the in Silicon Valley. And, and that was an age where I believe still being in the Valley in San Francisco was extremely important. And it was a point in time where I think we were all feeling that all innovation could only happen in Silicon Valley was the time of like Uber and Facebook going on mobile and all those kind of com- Instagram, all those sorts of companies. And so that was the thesis really like, how do we get access to some European capital? And when I say European capital is really other entrepreneurs and angels and some institutional capital as well into those early stage opportunities and mostly a mix of Y Combinator companies and some other accelerators and our own kind of just personal network of entrepreneurs. So that was the thesis. And so in order to do that, the idea was to try to index some of the maybe largest trends that were happening at that point in time Delivering marketplaces, for instance, being one of them. That's why ease at that time kind of made sense, but also other stuff and just like leverage also, again, just opportunistically, just our background and Stefan and Simone, which are the uh, other two partners, like we're also adding their own kind of background and, and people that they knew. And so it was about trying to be generalist but selecting some kind of teams that at that point in time were kind of indexing a little bit more or less everything going on in Silicon Valley from an early stage perspective. And so it was about going wide and try to be relevant in three or four things that we believed were interesting. And I don't know, VR was a theme, for instance, we made a couple of investment, turned out to be certainly different than the way we imagined delivery was a theme. And actually I think like, we managed to find one or, or two good companies in that space. We we actually believed a lot into biology and synthetic biology and, and biotech as a, as a team as well. And so we made a few investments. And also, I think financial services, fintech, in some way was starting to shape up. And that was another interesting thing. So certainly slightly more structured. Don't think necessarily crazy structured, but... A little bit structured in the thinking. And then it comes my personal portfolio that really developed 
after I would say 2019 roughly when I, I had a little bit of space to breathe after Trayer was starting to stand on its own legs a little bit more than what it was maybe just like a very much like a startup phase. And I feel like the strategy there is very different. I would say financially, it is about providing an edge versus Trulayer itself. So as an entrepreneur, you end up having all your eggs in a single basket, which is your your company. Now, I do believe that Trulayer today is already like demonstrating something good and it will do more and more in the future. But I think just like the very simple financial advice that everybody should follow is to try to have a diversified portfolio of assets in different risk profile and categories. And so I think tech entrepreneurs like myself, they are adapting that principle to also through angel investment, right? So you, you start placing some very small bets into other founders and other companies to in order to edge your position a little bit. I think it's just like, I would say kind of investing one-on-one, like try to like have a, a, a differentiated portfolio of, of assets. But that's only like maybe the rational part, like what rationally, that's kind of the excuse, right? Rationally, that's my excuse is in, is in kind of in a lockbox sitting there. On the rational part, and you just spoke about allocation in terms of trying to to actually put your money in healthy and meaningful places. Are you also then hatching your own bets in terms of having a public stock portfolio and, and real estate and that kind of thing? Or are you still like heavily allocated to both, of course, true layer, but then your angel portfolio as well? I went for full circle on this thing. So started like, okay, I need to have a view on basically every single asset class in the world in order to diversify. And I can kind of like pick the best companies. I have my thesis. Yeah. I know I know all the answers, so to speak. And then I realized, really, where is my edge? Like, where, where is that I'm, I'm good at and I can have possibly a 1% increased chance of success versus everybody else in the world? And I realized that it is in the early stage investments and early companies. As an entrepreneur, I happen to be maybe just 1% better than maybe the average. And that gives me some sort of like marginal gain that in this world kind of happens to great alpha. So... I resorted to say, you know, traditional investments is with more traditional wealth managers. They 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 know what is what is good, and also, frankly, the mandate there is to don't take excessive risk because basically the vast majority of my wealth and assets is in something that is extremely still like extremely risky as private companies, right? And so their mandate is to be boring and have like just the CDN and apply all the rules and just be financially savvy so that I can curve out stuff that where I'm more directly involved, that is more about trying to have an edge, but also on the other side, again, just maybe have fun, learn something and, and follow curiosity to a certain extent. In the end of the day, like when you put your actual proactive energy to something, you might as well do it on where you have an edge and then you have other people that do it professionally that you can actually outsource that to kind of have a bit of a diversified portfolio. So it makes a ton of sense for me. It took me some time to get that yeah. view. But I think I went through a time where I wanted to just like pick stocks and, you know, just like try to do everything by myself. But 
it's just impossible. Yeah, there's en enough things to lose one's sleep when you're building a company. You don't want to lose your sleep by looking at the stock market. I, I get that. Uh, <laughs> looking at the similarities, because we did talk about the big differences between, you know, doing it in a, in a structured fund versus doing it as an angel now. But like, for example, when assessing founders, I'm assuming, I mean, these principles evolve, but they hopefully are in a similar ingredient. So we'd love to ask you, you know, when assessing founders, are there any absolutely key ingredients you are usually looking for or the flip side of that, any no-goes or anything that, you know, does not get you as excited? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are many, many similarities the way we would approach things because also with Mission Market, we weren't really leading rounds. So when you're not leading, I believe the first thing you need to assess for yourself is financing risk. Let's say that you actually picked a good team, the right idea, but if for whatever reason the funding doesn't come together, you as an investor or a very small investor, you're not going to move the needle. And so the first risk you need to mitigate is financing risk. Is another larger investor coming along that is going to provide enough capital for this thing to get off the ground. And that's something we learned and I learned. And this is a principle that I still apply to my own personal portfolio unless I happen to know the entrepreneur for maybe a very long time and I know that there is something there that gives me comfort in terms of like mitigating this financing risk. And so maybe I'm very happy to be the very first check in the company or among the very kind of like first check in the company. But otherwise, of course, as a small angel, it's way easier to just chim in a round that is already forming. There is some space left and that's where like you, you fit yourself. This is a simple thing to do and say, but I believe pragmatically for an angel, it kind of does make a big difference into just the mortality rate of your portfolios, especially in the early innings, right? I would say there is a basic test that I'm trying to do with all companies that I'm investing with personally, which is about how would I feel if that company goes busted and I lose and like all my money, right? How would I feel? And the answer must be something like, clearly, I am not going to be happy for sure, but there must be something in there in terms of learning, in terms of excitement, in terms of just like irrational motivation, so to speak, or, or some other utility, like just trying to put into your utility function, like your, your value formula, something that is not just about return on investment, but also about the amount of learning and just the experience of doing that, say. And that is the basic criteria that I'm trying to apply today. And maybe that was a little bit different versus the more the venture fund, where I would say it was more about maybe the excitement for the category and the excitement for the future that that company was was building, but as well as are all the economics making sense? Is the right entry point? At the end of the day, just slightly more a decision about how are we going to make some money out of this investment. In the early stage, I believe that it's less sophisticated versus like growth stages and, and late stages in terms of what is the exact entry point? Like, should you care too much about that? I think like up to a certain extent, but was was certainly more central in our thinking back then versus like what, I, what I'm doing right now. The other thing is about some sort of, I think right now I, I have more experience by just being a founder myself of just like pattern matching behaviors. 
sometimes it's very hard to explain in very rational formulaic terms. It's just something that at the end of the call, you say, okay, there is something in there that gives me really comfort that this person is going to go through all the hardship of building a company and come out of it successfully and creating a village around him or her, right? And that's, I believe, at the end of the day, that's really important, especially if you're investing at the early stages like you. Alert to not trust traction metrics. If we're talking about companies that are raising kind of pre-seed or seed, because those early tractions sometimes are just like showing that they can execute something, but they don't have intrinsic meaning of its own, right? They can easily be gained. So then it all reverts back to who's the entrepreneur? Is this person going to go through all the trials and tribulation of entrepreneurship? I have one question before we go to your core learnings. And that's just because, you know, we're on a call here with uh, one guy who does LP syndicates into venture funds backed by the thesis that it can help many angels, you know, really get closer to the venture ecosystem. And then with another guy who's running his own VC firm, who's very much involved in the uh, in the angel seat. So I have to ask you, of course, how do you think about investing into funds? Do you do that at all? How do you work with the venture scene? I'd love to hear more. Yeah, I, I do that. As I said, at the very beginning, I do have a portfolio that also contains a few funds that are either focusing on the super early stages or maybe series A, maybe some B round. I don't do like growth. I don't think that is the kind of return that I'm looking for. I'm constructing that portfolio way more like skewed over early stages. I mean, the rationality there is that for as much as, again, I'm trying to be smart about things and have an edge on things, the reality is that there are people like you guys that are doing that professionally, putting like 100% of your time and your passion into it. And clearly you're going to do a better job than I do. I believe that that's the reality. And so you are trying to create a diversified portfolio of approaches, geographies, people, operators, sectors, and, and it comes with also, it's it's way easier to diversify if you go through a funds, right? Like you, by, by definition, you get also all their investments plus yours. So it, it is part of like, let's say a strategy. Again, don't think that as a highly sophisticated strategy, this is basic, like I like maybe the operators at the fund. And I think like the basic math is that I'm better off investing into a few of them versus just like do my own investment. Yeah, I mean, and I couldn't overstate the value that people like you, Francesco, bring to the VCs, right? I mean, having and learning from people like you that help with the diligence that Coinvest alongside and help the portfolio and we learn from as well as an entrepreneur, like uh, means means a lot for a lot of funds. So that's awesome. Got here learning more about them angels, Time to talk about your core learnings from angel investing. I know we might have touched on some of them already, but if you had to share uh, three core learnings, what would those be with the audience? First learning is to possibly trust your own gut feelings, especially if you're already an entrepreneur, you, you are dealing on a daily with a large number of people and like, your job at the end of the day is to without like the signal from the noise. I think you do develop 
a number of heuristics and, and patterns that are very hard to explain in rational terms, but actually end up being somehow like a, a superpower because it's also unique to you, right? And I learned throughout the years that for as much as sometimes I cannot rationally go and explain the full extent of that signal, it is valuable and you need to respect and to an extent trust that instinct. So, and I think that's especially true at the early stages where I believe, again, sometimes the whatever alleged traction or proving point are certainly overstated by founders. And, and I don't blame them, but I think it's just like the reality. And they don't mean much in terms of like how this company is going to be successful in the next several years. It all reverts back to who's this entrepreneur or, or pull of entrepreneurs, the founders, can they do that? The second learning, the second thing is about developing a value equation that it's not just about return on investment and money, but it's also about how much you learn, how much you're interested, engaged, curious, excited about what is that you're doing, that in a way ends up maybe mitigating regrets. I think that you should assume that it's not a given you're going to be a very successful angel investor. And I think that the vast majority, actually, they don't make that much money or they just entirely fail. And so there must be something valuable to you that goes beyond just money because it's very likely that you're going to fail or anyway, like you're not going to make all the right calls. So it's better to get some other value in kind out of that activity if you're spending your time on it. The third thing is to, I think this is something that I learned more through the lens of the fund more than necessarily as an angel investor, but that discipline on Parada and fund allocation and just like how you model your available pool of capital I think it does make a tremendous impact and it kind of shape up your investment strategy, especially again, if you are a fan or you are thinking about yourself as some sort of like angel fund. Bridge rounds and kind of convertible notes ahead of a price around, like there, there's a lot of stuff in there that I think I learned the hard way of how to capture signals that sometimes are, are not positive and then maybe you just need to get your losses from a pure financial perspective or, or not, if you do believe strongly in that company, but at least you need to be aware that, that there is that possibility that things are not going the way you want it. And that is something you only learned going through the entire journey. And you need to, unfortunately, look at those things yourself very hard. Like it's very easy to say and teach like you need to be disciplined on Parada. The reality is that when that email comes into your inbox and you have, I don't know, 24 hours to reply for your allocation, what you're going to do. And, and it's very hard, right? So within that model construction learnings, like if you look back, what would be one thing you do differently? Would it be within diversification, Rata, beyond that, what would it be? So I would say a more diversified portfolio instead of like overall allocating for full-on investments. I believe that, and maybe larger, slightly larger checks at the very beginning versus thinking that at Parada stage, you're going to have that much more information versus when you initially invested. I do believe th this was especially true through maybe in, in the last three, four years when the average time between one round and another was so short that no company could possibly have done enough meaningful kind of progress to say, 
that stage is fully the risk, right? So you are in the next thing. So then at that point, you're probably better off writing a larger check on the outset at a lower valuation and just like let your companies run. That's the reality. The other thing I would say, again, just cautious around those great bargains of those bridge rounds like convertible notes with cap ahead of the inevitable stellar price round is going to happen six months from now. We have all the investors already committed. At some point, again, like we saw a few of them. And frankly, maybe we have a bad track record of that, but they all turn out to be really almost like the other way around. Like 12 months later, you then get a company that is basically telling you, look, the only other shit we, we have fun is a pay to play. So either you actually invest now more money or you get completely squashed on the cap table. So then again, like kind of defies the purpose of having this 20%, you know, discount, like price arbitrage, it's really not worth it. It makes perfect sense, right? And especially also with the reflections that you've also had on, you know, the difference from being involved in, in angel investing on the side or doing venture full time. Because if you need to be able to really judge whether bridge round is and, and, and the offer you're getting is good or or the opposite, you know, that takes time. It, it's not something that you can just decide on the whim, right? I really do understand why you're saying, Francesco, that as an angel, it might be a good idea just to decide up front what you want to do and then only if the company takes off, follow up. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that many people would be better off following that strategy. Uh, clearly, I would probably think differently if I was kind of like a lead investor, board seat with a different kind of fund. I, I think like you then go and behave differently. You have all the information, you, you sell the entrepreneur, like you know what's going on. It's just as an angel, most likely you have so little information and insight into what the company is really doing. A lot of companies at some point will just stop sending you monthly updates and so you are completely like in the absence of any any source of like qualitative and quantitative information to make any source of decision so that's why i'm saying like better to take a more decision out of conviction in the early stages when maybe you are putting a little bit of thinking around that versus later where actually it's kind of like completely random the outcome of that decision yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think what's very important is to work with your own model and be disciplined within that and intentional, right? As you'll know with Cocoa, we like focus on round number one and be disciplined. So don't look at after that. Just the nature of discipline and focusing itself helps, right? And so beyond whether you want to do Parata or not, or whether you'll be dragged into rounds that you're not sure about, I think just having that focus and working towards your model, whether you're a lead VC, you're a micro fund, you're an angel, and being disciplined with that and not being dragged by other people, I think pays off, or we hope so at least. So now let's go to the quick fire. First question is, what's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you started Angel Investing? Like I said before, this whole thing around early traction for me is almost like a counter signal sometimes. Like if I if I see like you know a team that started three months ago and now like they have these amazing metrics all pointing like up up and to the right, to me is almost like a turn off metric because I believe that it's just not the 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 game is a different one. Like you need to play the long game and, and that in itself like is is meaningful up to a certain point. 
second question. What would be your top tips to angels wanting to do more international investments? On international investments, like I assume just not investing into your kind of core country set of like friends, right? So I would say it is about a little bit piggyback on other local insiders. I'll make an example. Like I've done a few investments in Africa just because I, I have a personal thesis that that's where like the next big demand it's going to come from. And but I know really nothing about Africa and I did nothing about like the local dynamics, like just reputation of people and, and all this kind of stuff. So. I end up leveraging SPVs or funds or people that I really trust and really like and I can vouch for them and their approach, right? So kind of trying to expand your network through people that you trust and that you trust them and they're reputable for what they do in the in your own target geography. Final question, and this is a personal one. What advice would you give your 10-year younger self if you had 30 seconds? I think it's, it's a lot to do with soft skills and how you develop those soft skills, like whether it's communicating, being able to, you know, just like be socially at ease with people. I think like lead, all those soft skills that make up leadership and in general like are so important when you're in a startup setting. I believe that the kind of place where I'm coming from like and in general education is very big about like hard skills like math physics chemistry all of that there's not enough focus on developing all just the rest and and I think like at the end of the day I find myself that I think that's where like the magic happens really like we can all learn math and be somehow good at math it's very hard to have all the right soft skills and leadership skills and that is something that I wish I had learned in a more deliberate manner maybe back in the days. Thanks for joining us. As you know, really means a lot to me personally, but also such great insights for the ecosystem. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been like great pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends and join our Angel LP Syndicate at eu.vc. And if you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Vaban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. Our end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on the things that matter, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and we've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on our platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investments for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. You've been touched by an angel, girl.